The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Episode 103. Believe it, people, we are here, still pressing forward, still making some great podcasty goodness for all of you. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. I am I'm feeling bouncy. I'm in a good mood this weekend. And I'm I'll tell you why. I mean, because the greatest institution of higher learning in the world, and I don't think there's any debate on this, the University of Miami, my alma mater, Go Canes, is still undefeated at college football. Here we are, seven weeks into the season, is it? And we're still right in the thick of the college football playoff hunt. We're number seven in the AP poll, number eight, something like that. We are, we're right in it, man. And we got a huge win against Georgia Tech. They're always pesky. That's a tough triple option offense to deal with. They, they, they razzle dazzle you. You don't know which way they're going to run. And I was worried and stressed out that whole game. We were behind the whole game. And then we had an epic comeback at the end, a huge fourth down catch by my new favorite person in the world. Daryl Langham made a big play in the closing seconds to set up a game-winning field goal by Michael Badgley, who of course is automatic and splits the uprights with two seconds left. Boom! Canes bit win by one, still undefeated. Go Canes! Oh man, Daryl Langham. Go go look up, even if you're not a sports person, go look up that catch. Just look up Daryl Langham, Georgia Tech, fourth quarter, some version of that. You'll find this catch. Just amazing concentration. And if he drops that ball, the game's over and the Canes lose. Instead, he makes the epic catch and the Canes win. And my weekend is wonderful. And so I'm in a good mood right now. And I'm going to use this good mood to tell you all the different ways that you can reach out to the Break the Business podcast. Send us an email, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can send us show questions, show topics, um, anything you want to talk about or you want us to talk about on this show that's how you do it. Break the business at gmail.com. I love getting emails from you guys, people. Send me some emails. I always write back. Ask anybody who's emailed me. If you take the time to email me, whether it's even just saying hello, just so I know you're out there. I always email people back. It's uh, you know, it, it's just what I do. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. And get a copy of my book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It's available in not one, not two, but three formats, audiobook, ebook, and paperback. Um, give it a give it a read, give it a listen. Uh, that book is kind of like the foundational cornerstone of this podcast. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is a continuation of what we talk about in those books. And so if you really want to kind of up your break the business experience, starting with that book uh, can certainly be a big help to you. And, you know, you know what? And, and shoot, if you, if you get a copy of the book, uh, you know, let me know. Maybe send it to me somewhere. I'm happy to sign it. Whatever, man. Um, I'm just, I'm happy you're listening. And I'm happy for your support. Our guest this week, speaking of things to be happy about, Sherry Who is going to be joining us She's so smart. She's a music journalist for Forbes and Billboard. Recently wrote about the underrepresentation of women at music industry panels. We're going to talk to her about it. We're going to learn some things. Man, did I mention how smart she was? She went to Harvard and Juilliard. I mean, just both of those together. My, so she's got she's got brains, but she's also got some music chops. She 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 comes, you know, she's not like one of these people where it's like, oh, she went to Harvard and she writes about music. Well, what does she actually know about music? And you know, when's the last time she's tickled the ivories? Well, she's quite the ivory tickler. You know, she's got she can play music, she writes about music, she's got all the bona fides, man. I'm a huge fan of her writing, and I'm excited to talk to her in the next segment. Uh, but first, uh, a few things for us to talk about. It's been in the news. People have been tweeting me about it, asking me what I think. And it it's involves the entertainment industry, so I guess it's in our wheelhouse. We got to talk about Harvey Weinstein and the allegations and what it means for the industry as a whole. And And to be fair, we actually did talk about Harvey Weinstein last week. But if you remember from last week's episode, we lost pretty much the entire episode with me and Dave uh, because of some technical issues. And David had some great, great insight about this Harvey Weinstein thing. 
Um, he always brings it. He's so engaging on the air. And so all that Harvey Weinstein stuff, we lost it. And so now we have to start fresh and I can talk about Harvey Weinstein and kind of be the podcast's first statement about this. And even though it's not about the music industry, it's about the movie industry. There are a lot of parallels and it's worth talking about because what happened with Harvey Weinstein really underscores a greater gender imbalance in music and in entertainment and in all facets of media. And it absolutely has implications for artists like you. Whether you are a woman who has to deal with the potential for abuse every day when you do what you do, or whether you're a man and you have a responsibility to try to make things better and make our industry more fair and more balanced in terms of the power dynamic, this matters for all of us. Now, let me take a step back if you're not familiar with what's going on with Harvey Weinstein. On October 5th, a New York Times article came out and it noted that uh, Harvey Weinstein is a famous movie producer, Miramax. Uh, he's made a lot of movies, won Oscars, one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. And this article came out uh, earlier this month and said that uh, Weinstein had settled numerous claims with multiple women alleging sexual harassment, including claims made by famous actresses, including Ashley Judd. Ashley Judd talks about having to go up to Harvey Weinstein's hotel room and he walks out in a bathrobe and says that, I, I might get some of the details wrong, so forgive me, but I think he says something about her wanting to have her watch him shower and a lot of other inappropriate sexual harassment type stuff. And it was a bombshell of a article. It was a scandal. And since that article came out, things have really snowballed for Harvey Weinstein. More women have come forward alleging claims of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and even rape. And this has led to Miramax, which is his company. They fired him as CEO. The Motion Picture Academy ended his membership and his wife left him. And um, the consequences will only continue for him. It's possible he may never be able to come back into the United States again. He's fled to Europe, and this might be a Roman Polanski situation where he never returns to the U.S. again. But either way, these allegations are horrifying. And I would be shocked if Harvey Weinstein ever worked in Hollywood again or in any form of media again. And for me, as someone who works in the entertainment industry, I feel really angry about this about everything that's happened to all these women. I'm I'm angry for the women who've been hurt, and I'm also angry at all of us. I'm angry at the whole industry. I'm angry at myself. Because this story is way too familiar in Hollywood. When the news came out about Harvey Weinstein, we were all shocked. And then we took a step back and realized, wait, why are we shocked? How did we not see this coming? How did we not stop him sooner? It's not like we didn't hear rumors about this guy for years. You know, a lot of a lot of people have been circulating this video back from 2013 where Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy, uh, actor, director, pr producer, singer, he's he's announcing the nominees for best supporting actress for the 2013 o Oscars and he remarked after announcing the five female nominees, he said, "Congratulations, you five ladies." no longer pretend to be no longer have to pretend to be attracted to Harvey Weinstein. And you know, so we knew about this and I remember actually watching that nomination show that year because I'm that kind of a dork and I don't just watch the award shows, I love the nomination shows too, but I remember watching that clip. I remember this. I remember Seth MacFarlane making that joke and today I'm upset with myself because I heard that Seth MacFarlane joke and I brushed it off. And we all did. And we've been brushing this off for years. Even you go way back to 2005, there's footage of Courtney Love talking about this. She's being interviewed by uh, Natasha Legera, who's a comedian, and they're doing an interview thing on Comedy Central before one of those Comedy Central roasts. And Legera asks Courtney Love, do you have any advice for a young girl moving to Hollywood? And Courtney Love replies, if Harvey Weinstein invites you to a private party in the Four Seasons, don't go. And... It's a joke, but it's not a joke. Like Hollywood saw the signs back then. We all saw these signs and we ignored them. And we've <laughs> we've done this before. I mean, look at Bill Cosby. We were all shocked when we heard the news of the things that Bill Cosby did to those women. But we shouldn't have been. 
We ignored the evidence for years. And, I, and I'm not just throwing everybody else under the bus. I ignored the evidence too. I remember when I was in law school, I read cases about women making rape allegations against Bill Cosby. And I remember being like, oh, that's weird. That's a pretty crazy case. Usually allegations like this would end a person's career, but Bill Cosby is still beloved today. I remember thinking back then. And then that was the end of my thought process on it. I just kind of said, oh, well, and I moved on. Just like we all said, oh, well, and we all moved on when we heard people talking about either Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby for years. <laughs> when, I, when I see all these women coming forward, it's caused me to do a lot of soul searching for myself as somebody who works in entertainment. And I ask myself, and I've been asking myself, why do I do this? Why does the entertainment industry do this? Why do we ignore the things that people tell us about the evil things powerful people do in our industry? Why do we ignore them until it's too late? Why do we ignore them until people get hurt? A lot of people get hurt. And don't say it's because women don't come forward sooner. Don't do that. Because this is absolutely not the fault of women. Women have so much to lose by taking on powerful men. They can lose their whole careers. They can lose so much. Look at Kesha, if you want a music industry example. She took on Dr. Luke, and she lost three years of her music-making prime. And she still has to work under his record label. So she lost three years of her music-making prime. And, you know, for women in the music industry, it's a very short shelf life. And what did she get for it? Well, she's still working under the same record label, under the same allegedly predatory relationship. Women have so much to lose. And so this isn't about blaming women. This is all of us. We're all to blame. Especially those of us who work in entertainment. And the problem, though we can sort of narrow the problem down to people like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby and now R. Kelly and kind of point at those people, really the problem is systemic. The fault isn't just in those people. It's in an entire entertainment industry that's male-dominated and far too often overpowers women. And the music business, the industry I primarily work in, is definitely no exception to this. Because as, as hard as it is to make it in this industry generally, because God, we talk about every week about how hard it is to make it in this industry, it's all the more difficult for women because of this power dynamic. And on our podcast, we have had the privilege of speaking with multiple fantastic, incredible, talented women in music who have opened up to us about their, their own struggles of trying to achieve success in a male-dominated music industry. Last year, in fact, we spoke with Rory Kelly, one of my favorite guests. She's an indie artist who's written frequently about this issue. She talks a lot about feminist issues in music. She uh, ran an organization called Go Girls, which was all about trying to create more opportunities for women in music, creating a, a group, a safe space where women can exchange ideas. Super, super awesome person. And on our show, she talked about the power imbalance between men and women in the industry and how that imbalance can often take the form of microaggressions or small statements or gestures that can reinforce a misogynistic dynamic in our industry. One big one that a lot of women get is just the pervasive assumption that we don't know what we're doing. I don't know if you've ever walked into a music store or walked into a venue and had someone instantly assume that you had like the competence level of a 12 year old, but it happens to every woman I know most of the time. So frequently I'll walk into a venue or just this last week, I walked into a session. I was hired as a session singer on the song. The engineer gets there and I, this is part of what I do for a living. You know, I've done a lot of vocal sessions. I kind of grew up in a studio, so I'm very, very comfortable. And the engineer, as we're setting up the mic and everything, is really talking to me like I'm a four-year-old on a cute little studio tour. And he's like, oh, I can do all kinds of audio tricks. And, you know, let me set up the, let me set up the microphone for you this way. And, you know, just be careful that you don't back too far off and you don't come too far in. And it's, really just the tone of voice more than anything else where it, I don't think most men even realize they are doing it, but they talk to women so differently than they would speak to a male colleague or even an inexperienced man. Women are patronized and 
infantilized in the music industry. All, all too often, they're diminished relative to men, their male counterparts. And when your industry is willing to diminish someone based solely on their gender, that creates a direct path to the kind of abuse you're seeing in the Harvey Weinstein case. And when you're a woman, the potential for abuse is always there when working with men in an industry that has a power imbalance. You, you always have to keep your guard up. When we interviewed indie artist Krista Hartman last year, she actually talked about this very idea. Throughout the, my career since 2005, there's been a lot of helpful male musicians in the industry, but unfortunately there's been a few that have, uh, you know, made making music a, a little uncomfortable. And I think if you're getting a bad feeling from somebody that you're working with, um, you need to get out of that sphere, whatever it may be, because uh, you can kind of get taken uh, advantage of um, if you're not smart about who it is you choose to spend your time with and your money with. Uh, and hopefully just keep your head on your shoulders. You know, I, I would say uh, trust your instincts, no matter how famous or how um, accomplished uh, somebody might appear don't uh, don't let that overtake what your initial perception is of that person and don't try to get I, I would say don't be awestruck by anybody mm. I think that's very that's very important unfortunately Krista's advice is sound here and it's troubling for two reasons first it's generally troubling that women constantly have to keep their head on a swivel that they constantly have to worry about the potential for abuse. And secondly, it's additionally troubling for those of us in the industry who want to see women in more prominent roles. This, this music industry, like any aspect of the entertainment industry, it's all about networking. It's all about who you know, that old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, who you know matters. You got to get out there. You got to meet people. That's why I go to conferences. It's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. It helps me network. It's one of my ways of meeting people in the entertainment industry. I, I'm kind of socially awkward at parties, and so I'm not very good at going to cocktail parties and just starting conversations with people and giving them my business card. So I prefer podcasting because I can sort of network from a distance and have deeper conversations instead of making small talk, which I suck at. But I have to network. It is critical to moving your own career forward in the entertainment industry, whether you work on the business side like me or whether you're an artist, especially in this new music industry that's all about entrepreneurship and how artists have to make their own careers and have to run their own businesses. That means networking is super important. You have to go out there and you have to meet people. And for men... That's an easy proposition. Even for somebody like me who hates going to cocktail parties, it's still easy for me. If I want to network as a man, I just go out and I do it. I go to parties. I ask people out for coffee. And if I were a musician as a man, if I wanted to collaborate with others on a musical project, I can just work with them at their studio. I can just go over to their house or their apartment. But as Krista noted in that clip, women don't have that luxury. Every encounter a woman does, every meeting a woman has with somebody that could potentially move their career forward could also be an encounter or a meeting in that where you can get hurt as a woman. And women, before they have to meet anybody, have to make the same calculation. They always have to ask themselves, do the benefits that I could obtain by meeting with this person outweigh the potential risks to my body? I've heard women tell me about this and how frustrating it is and how disempowering and how disabling it can be that every meeting you always have to ask yourself well is this worth it i could i am i putting myself in danger and is that risk worth the potential career rewards that it, it's got to be a stressful way to live and it just significantly impacts a woman's upward mobility so what can we do about this how can we improve this power dynamic well i mean i'm, I'm no expert on it i'm sorry and maybe Sherry, who in the next segment can offer some helpful subject suggestions as a woman in the music industry and as somebody who's just generally very brilliant and has written about a lot of this stuff. And certainly she'll have some helpful suggestions with respect to music conference attendance, which we're going to talk about with her in the next segment. But 
In the meantime, Rory Kelly did tell us in her interview something that definitely doesn't work. And that's that you can't elevate women with tokenism. You can't just extend an opportunity to one woman and say, oh, problem solved. We've, we've got our token woman. We've, we've extended our hand to one woman. We've fixed misogyny. That can't do it. That doesn't solve the problem. Listen to this clip. Too frequently, I'll be on a panel at a conference or something like that, or I'll be in a workshop, or I'll be at a gig, and I'm the only woman in the room who's involved in the industry. And I promise there are more of us. Like, I'm not a unicorn. It's not this really rare, (laughs) crazy thing. And I've sometimes been hired for a gig because someone is like, oh, well, we need to get, you know, we really want to be inclusive of women. And it turns out that what that means is that I am the single woman they have hired in their entire year-long season, and they want to show that they're being inclusive. We need to check the box off, basically. Right, yeah, the diversity box. And the thing is, like, not for nothing, women actually aren't a minority. And I really think we need to be inclusive of minorities. And the fact that women are actually more than 50% of the population and are still getting so drastically excluded is really telling of how far we have and haven't come. I wish I had clear answers for you. But the solution to this problem will not be easy. There are no quick fixes. And as I said before, I certainly don't have the answer, but but, but one thing I can say is that the solution needs to come from all of us. We all need to play a role with whatever our responsibility is in the music industry, whether you're an artist a business person, a consultant, songwriter, whatever it is, through what you do, you need to play a role in making things better for women in some way. And we need to make concerted efforts here. As Rory is going to tell us in this next clip, part of the solution comes from being mindful of the problem and keeping track of inequality wherever you are and taking active steps to create the opportunities for women that they deserve. Keep a little bit of a tally Sometimes we have this idea that, oh, well, we're all equal now. And I read this phrase recently in a book, and it really resonated with me, that women have equal access on paper, where technically no one's no one's going to turn you away and say, oh, you can't get this gig because you're a woman. But in reality, women get hired for fewer gigs. There's less representation And it's still a very male-dominated industry, though it seems that there are as many aspiring musicians, female, as there are male. So one thing I would really recommend to men who want to help is, honestly, keep a tally. Go to shows and take a look at how many male musicians you see on stage and how many female artists you see. And ask yourself and ask the venues, are we going to get some more women here? If you find that it's like 90% men to 10% women, which I'm not exaggerating, is really common. And in situations such as conference panels and situations where there may be speakers and people helping to educate about the music industry, check out the dynamic of that too. Are there more men there than women? Is there a token woman on a, on a panel with three or four other dudes to provide the women's perspective? That kind of thing can only change when we really take a look and say, okay, we're going to mindfully be inclusive because obviously just saying we're all open to equality, whatever, isn't getting it done. We can't just say that we want things to be better. We can't just say that we support improving things for women in the music business and in the entertainment industry as a whole. We must, as Rory Kelly said in that clip, be mindfully inclusive. We must make concrete actions, take concrete steps that are specifically designed to pull women up. We must actively make an effort to put more women on panels. We need to put more women in gigs. We need to elevate more women to positions of influence and positions of leadership. If we actually are committed to reducing the abuse of women in entertainment, I can't help but think that leveling the playing field and sharing some of the power in this industry would certainly help. Man, we got we got really dark and serious in this segment. I, this is what happens when Dave's not here, man. I get really serious and nobody makes jokes. And all right, we're going to try to lighten it up in the next segment. We're going to learn a lot, but you know, maybe we'll try to have some fun too. Sherry Who coming up next on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and in ebook. 
The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is an award-winning music industry journalist who has written for Forbes, Billboard, and the Harvard Political Review. She has also spoken at South by Southwest, SF Music Tech, and Fast Forward, and she'll be moderating panels at conferences this month in San Francisco and Los Angeles. She is also a musician who has studied classical piano at Juilliard. You can find out more about her work by visiting www.sherryhu.org. That's C-H-E-R-I-E-H-U.org. Ladies and gentlemen, Sherry Hu is on the Break the Business podcast. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure. Folks, our guest is probably going to get really bashful when I say this, but Sherry is something of a super duper genius. She she attended Harvard and Juilliard. And in that regard, Sherry, we actually have something in common because I once applied to Harvard and I once walked past Juilliard while I was lost trying to find the Central Park Zoo. So basically, we have the same resume. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm talking to a real kindred spirit here. Uh, but in all, in all seriousness, though, I have to ask, how does someone as smart as you make a career out of writing about the music industry for a living? Why are you getting into the sludge with all of us? Shouldn't you be out there fixing climate change or something? <laughs> That's a good question. And it's not something that I ever like planned to do. I guess in the long term, I just ran into my current editor at Forbes at a career fair. And I knew I wanted to do something with music, but I wasn't quite sure what. Um, I was studying statistics in college, and I knew I wanted to sort of apply that study to the music industry. And But I had no idea that a publication like Forbes really was passionate about entertainment as well. So it was really cool to get to learn about that side. And so that was back in 2015. And uh, I was interested in music and tech in particular. And just at the time... Forbes was looking for more people to write about that side of the music industry specifically, like more digital trends. So uh, it was just a very fortunate encounter. And I've been doing that for the past like two years almost. And your writing is great. And Forbes is getting sneakily good at talking about pop culture and entertainment. You wouldn't expect that with Forbes, but between your writing and the writing of somebody like Mina Kimes, for example, there's some Mm. pretty cool pop culture and entertainment writing coming out of that publication. Very unexpected. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there, so my editor, his name is Zach Greenberg, he basically started all of the hip hop coverage uh, with with Forbes. And there's there's a really interesting article that came out this year about just how many artists are citing Forbes in their lyrics now. So there's like sort of, uh, there's an exchange going on there in terms of recognition. So that's really neat. Yeah. I can't think of a more fitting tribute for that publication. (laughs) Uh, But Frankly, folks, if you don't know about Sherry, if, if there's something going on in the music industry that's important, you can probably imagine she's written about it. And you've recently written a informative and really well-researched article. You talked about your background in statistics. The article's called Unbalancing Act, How Conferences Perpetuate the Music Industry's Gender Parity Crisis. In previous episodes on this show, we've talked to some guests who've discussed difficulties that they've had as women trying to establish their presence in the music business and just being shut out of opportunities. And your research demonstrates that the lack of presence on music of women on music conferences panels seems to be another example of this. Can you talk a bit about your findings? Yes, for sure. So I guess starting with the inspiration for this piece, um, I guess as a journalist interested in what the latest trends are in the music industry, what the highest up executives, as well as the newest entrants entrepreneurs are thinking about, Uh, I found myself drawn to a lot of conferences, and I've been going to a bunch over the past couple of years. But as a relatively young, just out of college female wanting to work in the music industry, I quickly realized that I was a minority, and there were a lot of other people bringing that up, too, in terms of like the lack of females, but very little quantifiable information, just showing how bad the problem was. And I, I always like to say, like, data is not you know, the be all end all, right? It's not the only thing we should rely on, but people definitely want to see compelling data and stories around that in order to be convinced. And so I decided to take that on myself just with some of the conferences that I've been to, as well as 
have seen. And I guess two of the key findings, one, I found a really interesting correlation between the gender balance and the uniqueness of the lineup. So for instance, uh, they're, the, the smaller conferences tend to have not only a better gender balance, so more 50-50 male-female, but they also aren't as unique. And that is a trade-off that I've heard as hypotheses from other people in terms of like maybe attendees having to decide between a more diverse lineup and gender diversity, which is ridiculous. But one common guess for why that's the case is that as conferences want to become more diverse, they always draw from the same pool of females. Like because there already are not that many females in the music industry, like I cite the I cite statistics from the UK Music Diversity Task Force, which shows that the distribution among senior executives in music is 70% male, 30% female, which is already pretty bad. So there's a hypothesis that because there are already so few females, if you want to bring a high proportion of them onto conferences, then you'll you tend to get more repetition. But what I actually found was that on average, there's actually more repetition among male speakers than among female speakers. So people, so bookers tend to always go to the same males than to females. And so I think uh, there not being enough females in the music industry is not a legitimate excuse is what I was trying to argue in this piece. Yeah, that was a, a surprising finding. And the first thing you brought up really shocked me because I think the, the quickest critique people are going to say when they say that women are not featured enough at music conferences is they'll say, oh, well, but, you know, men are just a larger presence in the industry. So the conference panel reflects that. And what you found was, no, conferences are actually worse than the industry as a whole. Uh, you, know, you noted that senior executive music conference speakers are 81% male, even though senior executives in music are only 70% male. So conferences, rather than reflecting the problem, seem to be exacerbating it. Yes, exactly. And yeah, I also do want to be careful of not, I guess, putting all the blame on conferences. There are obviously all these different forces coming in, like scheduling conflicts or... There is, um, so th there's another woman, Lara Baker, who runs marketing and events for the Association of Independent Music in the UK. And she, so she books all of their conferences and she is very aware of also a lot of the psychological elements that come in from the speaker perspective. Like a lot of women uh, don't want to offer themselves as speakers either because they don't feel like they're as qualified or they just don't really enjoy public speaking and more often than not, they'll recommend another male speaker as as a as an alternative suggestion. So there are a lot of different yeah forces coming in. Um, but are there, yeah, there, this is just one angle. Well, Sorry? sure. Uh, were there any other drivers that you either found you know definitively in your statistics or that you are supposing could be there that are driving this imbalance? Um, just in general in the conference space. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, so my second big finding is that uh, the gender balance does vary a lot depending on what area of music you're looking at. So, uh, for instance, I found that PR, radio, journalism, editorial, and sync or supervision roles are actually relatively closer to 50-50. Um, PR is like 55% female, 45% male. But then in terms of the... Uh, in terms of the speakers coming from the live music side, so venues, uh, booking agencies, festivals, and conference organizers, that skews a lot more heavily male. It's anywhere from 80 to 95%. I found that 95% of the speakers from venues were male, which was shocking to me, but also not that surprising just given everything that I had read about the music industry. And I do discuss this in my piece, but um, almost all of the most widely circulated stories about sexism in the music industry are from live music, like heckling at uh, heckling at shows while on tour, uh, not being treated well while setting up for the show. Like it's it seems that the, the live space is much more male than other areas of music, and so I think just these my findings just put more concrete data on that so on that angle. There's kind of a, a correlation to kind of borrow a term from your universe. Between the disparity, the gender disparity in a particular sector of a conference for a, a sector of the music industry 
and how much that sector might have more troubling behavior towards women. Yes, yes, I think so. And beyond music, it is very widely documented that in PR, for instance, uh, I think at least at the entry level, it's it's majority female. Um, I would say, I want to say that 60% of PR specialists are female. And there's, and related to public relations, marketing in general, I think is a very stereotypically sort of female, feminine role. And th- there are a lot of guesses as to why. I guess one is that PR and marketing and also like radio editorial, they're, they're perceived as more creative roles, sort of like soft skills roles, which historically have been more associated with what women are better at. Whereas uh, with venues, you know, logistics for setting up festivals, producing shows. Um, I didn't mention this yet, but music startups are also, I think, behind venues, music startups are the most heavily male leading at conferences. Like those are very more technical roles. And I think those haven't been associated historically with with women. And that's certainly a sector that has its fair share of difficulties dealing with women. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. So in what ways is this gender balance, in your view, manifesting itself as a problem? Is is this gender imbalance more a consequence of just the general lack of opportunities for women in the industry? Or is it also kind of inherently creating its own problems for women? So I, I guess the question is, are your findings showing just a symptom or its own disease or kind of both? Mm, uh, I, I do think it is kind of both. And the uh, so I guess starting with, with the disease part first, actually. So uh, in terms of the gender imbalance at conferences being its own issue that needs to be addressed. So the conference world is, is very small and very specific, but um, it attracts a ton of people like myself when I went to my first conference two years ago, people who are just starting to get interested in the music business, who really want to see what's happening, um, meet people higher up, because conferences are the most accessible opportunity to meet people in higher up senior executive roles, um, and to see most critically whether there is a place for you in this industry. And I think um, what I've noticed, so for, I've had I've had the fortune of meeting people who have been very generous and very welcoming, but there is you can't forget that visual component of just like seeing are, like are there people who look like you and who have the same background as you um, working in this industry who you could potentially look to as like a mentor, just some sort of guidepost. And uh, I feel like if if this gender imbalance keeps going, it can turn a lot of really intelligent, uh, really diverse people away. So I think that is its own disease. Um, but then also, as I said, conferences are very specific. So yes, it is a symptom of a wider problem of uh, gender issues in the music industry at large. So let's talk solutions then. Uh, are Were there any music conferences that you came across in your research that have addressed this issue more effectively than the average and have fostered a more legitimate presence for women? And if so, are there any best practices that other conferences can emulate from them? Yes. So I actually, there are actually a few conferences coming up that I did not included my analysis because um, they, the lineups like weren't completely announced yet. But uh, so fast forward was one of the conferences I included in my analysis. They originally started in Amsterdam and they just had their London offshoot, which I spoke at as well in September. And they actually had majority female speakers, which was incredible. It was cool. I think almost 60% female speakers and their the their latest Amsterdam conference, which I included in my analysis, was more like fifty five percent male, forty five percent female. Um, and I think what they did was realize the value of people working in the music industry, but not just in the senior executive roles. Like there were a lot of people who uh, it's not like they they didn't know anything about the industry, but they were just working in the business for maybe just a couple of years and they just became a marketing manager, but they had a, a lot of really interesting ideas about how to innovate around marketing for an indie artist, for instance, which is what a lot of people are interested in speaking of, you know, what the, what the industry will look like in 20, 30 years. I feel like it's, it's the people who are just entering the industry now who will be leading that right. Like in like 20, 30 years down the road. So hearing their voices now, I think is really valuable. So, and there's another one called, Survive in Norway that I think is also approaching 50% male, female, and they bring 
I, th they, I think they have the same approach in terms of realizing the value of voices, not just at the top of the hierarchy, but from all areas and being a lot more, uh, yeah, I guess embracing a lot more voices who are thinking a lot more about the future. So a critical component sense. that these conferences seem to be doing is looking for people and looking for women who have the good ideas and not just necessarily chasing people with big titles because that's yes. that, you know, because of all the imbalances that exist in the industry as a whole, that's going to inherently shut out a lot of very qualified women. Mm -hmm. oh. Yes. And another, another piece of advice that I would have. So I guess speaking from, from personal experience, something that's been really valuable for me trying to break into the music industry is reaching out to women in music groups. So there is one called Women in Music that started in New York, but now has branches in, in Boston and in LA and a lot in Europe as well and elsewhere internationally. There's another one called She Said So that uh, is headquartered primarily in Europe. So they have a big UK and Berlin presence, but there's also a New York and LA presence. And I know both networks, um, both networks provide a lot of support to their members. And She Said So in particular has worked directly with conferences to try to improve their programming from a gender balanced perspective. And Women in Music is putting together a database of females who are offering themselves as speakers as well. So just making that information a lot more accessible. Uh, I think those networks are really valuable to tap into. Oh, so there's sort of a, a push and a pull that's happening. You know, you have yes. the conferences reaching out, but then you also have these women's in music groups that you were talking about who are you know, pushing qualified people to making their way into these conferences. That's awesome. Sherry, we have a few minutes here. Let me change the topic uh, for this last question because you're some, something of a music industry futurist, and I'd love to hear your answer to this. What do you think the industry is going to look like in about 30 years or say in a generation or two from now? And much to the interest of the folks that are listening to this podcast, do you think it could be an industry industry where independent creators can thrive? All right. Great, great question. So I actually, I'd like to start with the, the second question because it will inform, I think my first question. So one, yes, I, I myself am very optimistic. I think there is a future for independent creators. And what I think is holding a lot of people back, not just on the independent side, but just anyone in the music industry, especially major labels, is that they're trying to tailor old strategies to new platforms. Uh, so for instance, I'm actually, I'm working on an article right now about independent creators and curators uh, making their full-time living on YouTube. And I know YouTube is a huge... Uh, point of debate for the music industry. A lot of people are saying that they're, they're not paying enough for music, but I really think it is a platform that you you get out, you, you get as much out of it as you put into it, but you really have to think smartly about, you know, what will YouTube provide for me that's different from Spotify, that's different from Apple Music and SoundCloud, how can I make the most advantage of that? So, uh, yeah, so I think there really is a future, but I think there'll be a lot more insight into strategies that are tailored to each specific platform and in terms of what the industry will look like, one, so just so just thinking about revenue streams that are coming up that have been steadily increasing that I think will change how music is marketed. So um, I know sync licensing is a small, still a small portion of the music industry, but it was steadily growing like even, even in the Napster era when the music industry lost billions of dollars, sync revenue was still steadily going up. And with the advent of streaming platforms like Netflix and Hulu, and also with, with the increasing popularity of gaming, there are all these opportunities for musicians, independent musicians in particular, to sort of insert themselves into cross, what I like to call tra transmedia storytelling is sort of the, it's the buzzword that's going around, but the idea is that music is, is doesn't just stand in a vacuum, it's part of a larger media ecosystem that you can really tap into. So I think there'll be a lot more interesting um, collaborations like between music and film between music and gaming and I, so this is i guess more a, a drier point but honestly the the biggest obstacle i think to achieving that right now is just not having the infrastructure to pay people properly when music is being used in films like paying people more more quickly and more efficiently um and i know there's a lot there's a lot of there are a lot of resources being put into improving that and because a lot of people want to make that world happen. Yeah, both so in I the think, public yeah. and the private sector, you're seeing these efforts. 
public and the yes yes yeah um and it's gonna and right it's a huge tug of war there are a lot of players involved but i agree with you if we can figure that out and that's a big if of course uh it can make thing it, it can make for a much more efficient much more dynamic music industry the article folks that we talked about was a uh, unbalancing act how conferences perpetuate the music industry's gender parity crisis check out our new friend sherry who at c h e r i e h u dot org you can follow her on twitter at sherry who 42 and um, one more question before we let you go. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Yes. So, and this is speaking from personal experience of what has worked for me. Um, I don't like the concept of competition. And I, I really do strongly believe you you won't have any competition if, if you carve out your own space for yourself. And for for artists that have figured that out, it's really worked for them in terms of figuring out what is your unique value that you can bring to the world and where, where can no one else compete with you? I feel like that's a really good approach to any career. That is such sage advice. Sherry, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you're super knowledgeable. Whenever things like this pop up in the industry, can we have you on again to help us make sense of it? Uh, you've been a delight. Yes, of course. Yeah. Thanks so much. Marvelous. Thank you so much. That's Sherry. Who everybody we will be right back on the break the business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Sherry Hu for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out that website of hers, www.sherryhu.org. That's C-H-E-R-I-E-H-U.org. Read her stuff. She will raise your IQ, man. Look, if you want to be an indie artist in this industry, you are an entrepreneur. You are a boss. You are a both a businessman and a businessman, as I believe it was Jay-Z who put it. And that means you actually have to be informed about your industry. It's not just enough to know about your craft. You have to know about the business in which you operate. And you got to be informed and read the people who will help you get informed. And Sherry, who is one of those people, she'll keep you informed and she's going to make you a lot smarter. Be sure to throw her a follow on Twitter as well at C-H-E-R-I-E-H-U-42. And, oh, I would be remiss in failing to mention that she also has a monthly newsletter with exclusive articles. Uh, you go to, it's kind of a long address, so brace yourself. It's getreview.co. That's getreview.co slash profile slash sherryhoo42. Again, getreview.co slash profile slash sherryhoo42. And even now that I say that, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and put that address in the show description so you can check it out. I know most of you are probably listening to this while walking down the street or driving and you don't have anything to write things down with. So uh, I got you covered. It's in, it's going to be in the show description, Scout's Honor. And it'd be a nice little newsletter for you to get each month. You can uh, have her writing delivered straight to you. Let's go back to our discussion from the first segment about creating more opportunities for women in the music industry because I feel like I'm coming at this from a little better of a place now that I have spoken with somebody who's so smart and uh, so just generally informed about not only the industry but the women, the issues that women in particular face. And it helps that she's also bring some quantitative data to this so we're not speculating. Just it's helpful. And so I'm, I'm a little more informed now as I'm talking and I'll say this. I really appreciated her insight at the end of the interview. In terms of making things better for women across the industry, we can learn a lot from the progressive things that some of these music conferences are doing to make things better for women. Part of the solution needs to come from the pull and push dynamic that we talked about in the interview with Sherry. If we want to make things better, we need to reach our hands out to women and take active steps to provide opportunities, much like how some music conferences are doing. And much like what those conferences are doing, that means really looking for women with good ideas who have something to say, even if those women don't have the fancy titles, 
because if you're just looking at titles, the industry is preventing lots of women from getting those titles in the first place. So you're going to miss out on a lot of fantastic women and their insight if you're just trying to get the fancy title for your conference. Look for people with the ideas. That's the pull element that we were talking about. But that push element, that matters too. We need more organizations that are built to actively find opportunities for women that will elevate women so that they can get onto the radar of these music conferences and get these women other opportunities as well. If they're musicians, help them find sync opportunities or opportunities to be on podcasts or blogs or things like that. Those those things can really help, and it's nice if there are more organizations out there that can help push those women and advocate for them. Women in Music, the group that Sherry mentioned, is a great example of such an organization. They're fantastic, as are some other organizations like Women of Substance. That That's a group that's founded by Brie Noble, who we've had on the podcast before. They have a great radio platform that really helps to elevate women. Rory Kelly's organization, Go Girls, we, we heard a lot from Rory in the first segment. That's another great organization, and... So if we can all just embrace the push and pull that comes from empowering women in music and in the entertainment industry as a whole, we can make this industry a better and safer place for women. Thank you all very much for listening this week. Just a couple quick announcements. Uh, if you haven't gotten a hold of it already, I'd love it very much if you grab a copy of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. It's right there on Amazon. It's not that expensive. It'd mean a lot if you gave it a read and maybe it'll help you out. Again, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available in paperback, ebook, audiobook. However you like to either read or listen to books, I got you covered, man. And more importantly, I'd love to hear from you. As I said last week, this show is at its best when we are directly catering to the needs of you, the listener. And so that means we'd much rather be spending a segment answering listener emails and talking about the things that interest you and that are pertinent to your career than just, you know, reading stuff that's in the news. So... We want to be at our best, and we're at our best when we're directly helping you. So if there's any question that we can answer or a topic you want us to discuss, even in the realm of pop culture, because we do talk a lot of pop culture around here, I'd love to hear from you. And that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Again, breakthebusiness at gmail.com, or you can throw me a follow on Twitter, at Ryan K-A-I-R. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Break the Business podcast. Our thanks to Sherry Who. And uh, my thanks to all of you. We will see you next week.